We focused on being redeemed in our worship music this morning, and what a wonderful truth doctrine that is, to be rescued, if you would, from our sin, because Jesus paid the price. That's what redemption's all about. It's the idea that we were in a real predicament in our sin, and only Jesus could come to our rescue. There's something that's very refreshing and engaging about a rescue, whether you're talking about people that have been entrapped under the rubble of a fallen building like there was in Turkey a few months back with the earthquakes, and then the news would hit 10 days after the building had collapsed, they're still pulling people that are alive from underneath the rubble that they're finding. We're engaged with that. Maybe it's a, a, a box truck that is stopped and opened up, and to find out that uh, young girls are being rescued from uh, sexual slavery as they're trying to be transported, and we cheer at that deliverance. Or maybe it's just a video clip of a father who happens to be just at the right place to catch his little son who's falling off of a ladder, and he grabs him before he hits the ground. There's something about those rescues that really inspire our hearts, and rightfully so. There's no greater rescue than the rescue that Jesus brings to us from our slavery to our sin. In the text that we looked at today that Brother Galello read for us in Mark chapter 5, it's actually one of two others in the Gospels that give this same account. But of course, in Matthew and Luke, there are some uh, differences of recorded information. Now, they all uh, very much dovetail together. There's no contradictions, but sometimes it's important to kind of note how these things all mesh together. For instance, our text only mentions one man, but in Matthew 8, verse 28, it mentions that there were two men who approached the Lord Jesus Christ. The one is perhaps a little bit more prominent or outspoken than the other. We say that because in Luke 8.27, it mentions that there is a certain man, and maybe a notable man, as one commentator pointed out. And that's not a problem. The, the critics of the Word of God that want to disparage the, the inerrancy of Scripture would say, well, you know, he only mentioned one here, you know, but in this other account mentions two, so the Bible's inaccurate. No, that's not so. I mean, if, if I go home and talk to my wife and say, hey, I had a, a conversation with Pastor Dale today, and I mentioned what we talked about, later it comes out that Miss Terry was standing there too, uh, I'm not misrepresenting it, uh, that I didn't happen to mention that, uh, and she understands that. Uh, because the focus was on the particular conversation that I was having with Pastor Dale. That's, the life, that's how life operates. We understand that. You know, <clears throat> there's little else in the world so pitiful as the sin-shackled spirit of a man. When you see someone who, by their choices, and of course encouraged by the world and other influences, but again, it comes down to our choices— we have to own the responsibility for decisions that we've made. There ought to be something inside of us that yearns to pray for that soul, to encourage that soul, 
and to rejoice as we see deliverance happening for that person's life. This man's condition seems a little distant from what we encounter today. After all, how many of us encountered one who is possessed of a demon? You say, well, Black Friday last year, I'm pretty sure I ran into someone in the... No, I'm not talking about uh, really hard people in that way. There are places in the world you can go where demonic activity is well, uh, way more prominent, way, way more uh, visible than it is sometimes in our cultures. Does that mean it's not here? Absolutely not. One commentator pointed out there's two mistakes we make when it comes to Satan and his minions. One is preoccupation with them, and the other is to discount them entirely. The truth of the matter is the Bible gives us enough information for us to know that we are in spiritual battle. We're in spiritual warfare. We, we don't wrestle against an enemy that has flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers, the darkness of this world. And so we need to understand that when we're really struggling to honor Christ throughout our day, that there, there are entities, there are powers, there are influencers out there that hate you because of what you represent if you're a believer today and your allegiance to Christ as a child of the Heavenly Father. And so it could be something as significant in an unsaved person's life as what we're reading about here, that there's actually a possession by a demon. Now, it mentions here that when the dialogue happens that the, the demon actually de- describes himself, names himself legion, and then he answers why he has that name, because we are many. So we know that there's not just one demon inside this person. That would be bad enough, wouldn't it? Or there's a multiples here. Legion at this time period is best associated with the description of a division of the Roman army. The difficulty is, depending on which historical time period you're looking at, a legion could be as small as a thousand complement of soldiers. It could be as many as 6,000 in, in rank. But we don't really need to be too hung up on the exact number, because even if it's just three, that's more demons than I would ever want to have around me, right? But there seems to be a large company of them, and, and we'll see, as we, we read, because of the response once the demons came into the, the herd of pigs, that uh, this certainly seemed to be a large number, even if just one demon went into each pig that caused them to run off the cliff in the way they did. Based on culture, sometimes there's wild, overt, intimidating behavior such as this. You can go to countries, for instance, the country of Haiti. I remember talking to a missionary down there, and he said, you know, demonic uh, demonstrations are much more visible, way more pronounced. There's an emphasis on witchcraft, uh, the, the, spirit, the, the dark spiritualization in that country. Uh, it's very unsettling. 
in some ways, you know, we would be scared to say, I would never want to be around that. The one benefit is you see the enemy. And I wonder if it isn't more dangerous that he's more covert in our culture, perhaps, to know that he's around and that we may get to heaven and find out that there were some suit-wearing businessmen politicians that were demonically possessed that we were around, just as if, as, as the Bible describes, that some have entertained angels unaware. Just because this man has such a radical behavior does not necessarily mean that everybody that's possessed with a demon is going to behave that way. It's pretty safe to assume that the Antichrist in the tribulation will be demonically possessed. And in saying that, he will seem to be very suave, very well-spoken, uh, very gifted. Uh, he will not be like this man who is described here in this text for us. So all that to say, don't simply uh, create a very narrow description in your mind as to what someone looks like that's being influenced or controlled by Satan. But also we need to understand that one does not even need to have a resident demon to be spiritually enslaved. Because as we consider this text for us today and ask, why, do the, why does the Father want me to know this passage of Scripture? Is it so that if I ever meet someone who's demonically possessed that I can perform an exorcism? Probably not. Uh, a group of preachers were one time discussing you know, if you, if you did encounter, and I actually had a, an assistant pastor that we were in the same church at the same time that had a young man in his 20s come to him for counseling, and, and, and it became very evident as he was counseling him that he was demonically possessed because of the changing of voice and the re behavior and the reaction to the name Jesus Christ. And I said, so how did you handle that? He says, well, you know, where the presence of the Lord is, you know, Satan can't be. He says, I just adjured him to receive Christ as his Savior, which he did, and immediately the, the demon was gone. And the young man to this day is a, a growing, vibrant Christian. To, that answers the question that a true born-again Christian cannot be demonically possessed, but we can be oppressed. We can be assaulted. And that's bad enough, isn't it, right? But we have enough troubles even if there's not a demon in sight. We're often our own worst enemies because we have that flesh, right? All of us do. That's why Paul says in Galatians 6.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty of that. You've been set free spiritually. Stay there. Don't give up that ground of freedom. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not again entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That yoke of bondage, of course, is talking about that slavish sin, giving in to those appetites. Oh, it may be pleasurable, it is, but it comes with its chain, its linkage, its handcuffs. Many a person has added to their chain link by link with choices, 
What kind of choices? Giving in to greed, giving in to lustful appetites that are against the Word of God, immoral indulgences, substance stimulation, certain kinds of, of music, uh, certain kinds of video content, lethargy, anger, fear, bitterness, and on we could go, right? Galatians 5 gives us a, a much longer list of the demonstrations or the aspects of the flesh than it does of the fruit of the Spirit. There's a, there's a greater diversity to our wrongness than there is to our rightness. Many do not see themselves as being in bondage. Here is the real problem. They, they engage in some of these things because, quite frankly, there's a pleasure to it. It stokes the pride. It's uh, invigorating. All these things are true, and the Bible even admits that there's pleasure in sin for a season, but it comes with a cost, comes with a price. To make matters worse, the person may not even desire to have freedom. If you start talking to an unsafe person and say, you know, Jesus can set you free from that. I don't want to be set free from this. I like my life the way it is. Do you like every part of it? Do you like the consequences that come with this? Because you can't have the one without the other. And remember, as you are beginning very slowly, it's kind of like having a, a pet lion or mountain lion. And it's just a cute little cub at first. But you feed it and feed it and feed it, and soon it becomes a full-grown adult uh, cat of prey. And suddenly you have a different, different creature that's there with you. And so it is. Sometimes we, we begin to feed some of these, these pet sins, these pet appetites we have in our life, and they grow and they grow and they grow, only for them to come back and scar us and scratch us and devour us in many cases. So we need to understand wisely why we need to be set free from slavish sin in our life. Man wants relief. I've never met anyone that was beginning to experience that, that bondage and the consequences of it that didn't say, well, I don't like this. I don't, I don't like this feeling. I don't like this, what's happening to my family because of this. But the world, really, all they can offer is different forms of restraint. And those restraints can look different depending on the issue. Now, I want to be careful. What I'm talking about here are spiritual issues. I'm not talking about medical conditions. I'm not talking about physical limitations. I'm talking about someone that has a spiritual condition here. It's a sin issue. And so the world doesn't know how to respond to that. They have therapies. They have all sorts of approaches. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus' approach is always the same. I want to give you release from this. I want to give you release that's why he says to the Corinthians when he talks about their redemption, he says, and such were some of you. And I love that past tense, were. Because a lot of the way the world approaches it, they want to remind you, you know, uh, you know oh, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And, they, and their identity is always still tied to that, that substance abuse in their life and how long they've been able to be restrained with regard to that, where Jesus says, you know, I want you to be released from it entirely. 
I want your identity to be in me. I want you to be considered a saint. I want you to consider yourself to be a child of God and not to identify because of some bad choice or bad choices that you've made in your life. And with that in mind, we need to discuss the nature of the problem as is seen in this man. The man had an unclean spirit, we know that. While not every problem is the result of demonic forces and influence, we can say that every sin problem is a spiritual one. If you have a sin problem, you're not going to solve that by going to therapy. You're not going to solve that by going through some sort of worldly clinic. It might be able to help you momentarily with some of the fringe issues, but if you know that your, your real problem is a sin, a sin response issue, then somewhere in there, there's a spiritual issue that's going on and needs to be handled in a spiritual way. We don't know how this particular person came to this condition. Any person who is a child of God, as I mentioned, cannot be possessed, but we can be influenced by our flesh. We can only speculate, did at some point, did he begin to engage in something that was touching on sorcery and he opened himself up to this? Did it just come upon him because he had not the presence of Christ? We do have other accounts in our Bibles about demonic oppression and possession. For instance, in the book of Luke, chapter 11, just going to look at three verses here, talks about a, a demon here, and it says, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, Jesus is teaching here, he walketh through dry places, kind of like a wilderness, uh, or this would even be in the spiritual dimension, not necessarily even thinking about our physical realm, seeking rest and finding none. He saith, this is still referring to the demon, the unclean spirit, we're hearing his mind, I will return into the house whence I came out. The house being the previous host, the human being. I'm going to go back, you know, I'm going to check and see if, if there's another demon that has moved in. And when he cometh, lo and behold, he findeth it swept and garnished. I think it's interesting that Christ points out here it's not just empty, but it's been what? Yeah, it's been cleaned up from the moral aspect. It's in better condition. So if this is a man or a woman and they're in society, people around them and they themselves can realize, oh, I'm doing better than I was before, maybe ever before. But notice what happens next. Then goeth he, he being the what? The demon. He goeth and taketh to him seven other spirits. Do the math, that's a total of eight, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Well, of course. So what is this pointing out? It's not just about reformation, but about occupation. It's not just about reformation, but about occupation. It's not enough just to cast out the old habits, you must begin to instill godly, biblical, 
Christ-centered habits in your life. So you are so full of that, so full of the Spirit, of His control, of His presence, that there is not room. And so I suppose there might be a situation where a demon leaves a host and they don't receive Christ and there's no presence of of Christ in their life and comes back and he's had this respite in his life only to be so much worse. That soul, what he needs is a, a new occupant, a strong man. If we were to go back into verse 22 of Luke 11, it would tell us that there needs to be a strong man that enters into the home, into that host. Where our strong man is specifically who? God the God, the Holy Spirit moves into us, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when we become Christians. In fact, 2 Corinthians 1.22 tells us that He has given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. I love 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what, folks? Yeah, not slavishness to sin. There's liberty. There is a spiritual freedom. We have those options. We no longer come under the oppression of that demonic influence. And again, while there are often physical issues that must be dealt with in our lives, and I think there is a a place for seeking out medical help, people's conditions, and when I'm counseling people, I'm always checking, you know, have you... Have you had a physical? Have you been through a doctor? Have you checked these things out? Sometimes what people are describing to me could be something like an issue with their insulin even. You know, they're dealing with depression. And I've had someone come to me and say, you know, I feel so depressed. I'm like, go get checked out medically. Let's rule out medical issues here, first of all. But if there is a shoot of sin and it's springing forth in someone's life, And I'm beginning to ask them questions about their choices and their lifestyle. And I'm like, okay, well, this doesn't line up with Scripture, and this doesn't line up with Scripture. I'm I'm seeing the fruit of the flesh. Then I know that it's germinating from a spiritual seed. There's a spiritual issue that's there in their life. This man has a spiritual problem. There's no doubt about that. But we need to secondly talk about the failure of man's methods, because The Holy Spirit saw fit to spend some time in verses 3 and 4 talking about how society tried to deal with this man. Notice the solution was to try to restrain him or tame him. And there's a lot of ways that people can tame. A lot of times it's done through instruction to help people cope. In other words, well, you're, you're going to be the way the rest of the, this, this way the rest of your life. You need to learn how to cope with this condition. The problem is he still has the problem, but an attempt is made for what we would call behavioral modification. You just need to learn how to act properly. The poor guy still remains in torment in his soul and in his mind. There's no peace. There's no contentment. There's no real joy. Warnings to people, education of how it's bad for you, 
it might result in bridled behavior because maybe another sin aspect of their life like pride and arrogance, like, well, I don't want people thinking ill of me, so I need to learn how to control that. And so they're still that person, but they've hushed it when they're out in public. Thing is, God still sees that, and they are still that. And they're not able to glorify God because they've only really become a duality of who they appear to be and who they really are. Restraint is just really forced coping. In this story, there's shackling that's going on. They tried to put chains on him, but it didn't work ultimately. It may have worked for a while, but ultimately the, the power of the demons inside of him, the adrenaline of his body, whatever else was going on there, uh, gave him an incredible strength to break free from these things. He still had the problem. But society wouldn't be as bothered if they could chain him up. And that is so sad because while sometimes society appears to be very compassionate, a lot of times they don't want to be annoyed with the problems that people have. And that's why they don't take the time to help lead them. Bottom line is society doesn't know the right path. They're, they're lost. They don't have a relationship with Christ in general. And so rather than shackling the person, it is the, the demon or the flesh that needs to be shackled so that the spirit might be free. Get rid of that demon. You know, mortify the deeds of the flesh so that you can walk in the spirit. And by the way, while you're actively walking in the spirit, you will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. Sometimes people at an addiction recovery meeting that I had visited one time shared that even if they were drug and alcohol free for an extended period of time, the problem was still there. And as they began to talk, it was very interesting because they would, they would talk about other issues they were dealing with. And what came out was anger. Like, I feel angry all the time. And as they talked about their anger, they would reveal that there were some issues that led to bitterness and resentment in their life that caused the anger, unresolved relationship issues, un unresolved submission to God in their life. And so the problem of whatever the addiction was, the substance abuse, just kept coming back because they didn't have the relationship. The root issues were not dealt with. The only help offered by man's methods is of benefit to society, not really to that person. You know, and I'm not saying that you should never incarcerate a criminal. That's not the point here. People need to pay for their crimes. But when we think about rehabilitation, the, the only rehabilitation needs to be is redemption, regeneration of that soul. At best, you say, well, what if they come back and they're not a Christian and they're a viable part of society, they get a job, they get a family, and they continue on like that and they never commit that crime or any other crime again. Isn't that a good thing? I'm like, well, that's, that's, that's better, but they still die and go into the lake of fire for all eternity. How sad is that? It's no wonder that this man plucked the chains asunder in verse 4 because of the rage that was within him. 
Really, the world is kind of treacherous when you think about that. They're, they're not the friend to individuals that they present themselves as being. If you're acceptable in society but fall into bondage of sinfulness, then sometimes they're okay with that. They won't talk to you about that. It's not harming anyone else if you make these choices or these choices. doesn't matter that it's egregious in the eyes of a heavenly father. It just isn't inconveniencing society. This man was quickly dismissed as pathetic. And you know really who your friends are when things get tough. Remember the story of the prodigal son with his profligate lifestyle, squandered everything he had? Well, he had quite the booty for a while, didn't he? And while he had that nest egg that he had received from his father, he was surrounded with what? He was surrounded with friends, so-called, right? Because then daddy's money ran out. And he finds himself hungry. Where were his friends then? Hey, you don't have money? That's no big deal. Come over to my house. Raid the fridge. Hey, we're having a party. Come over here. We'll take care of you. We, hey, we leached off of you for all that time. It's your turn to leech off of us. The story didn't go that way, did it? Drop you in a hot minute. The problem is genuinely solved in this case. But it scared, it scared the people because of the dramatic transformation. Look back at verse 17. And it says, And they began to pray Him to depart out of their coast. That they are the townspeople. This is society that had chained Him. And it, and it says, And they began to pray Him. That's Jesus. In other words, they're imploring Jesus, Will you please leave? Isn't that an odd verse? You would think they would give him a parade. They would have an annual Jesus is awesome day. But no. It scared them. Why? Wow, with someone with that kind of power, some kind of control, he might try to control me. He might try to influence me. I want to control my life. Please leave. That's the problem with man. What's the observable life of the person? Well, a couple things. The living conditions. He dwelt among the tombs. Verse 3, the Christians would later, of course, meet in tombs in Rome, for instance, for secrecy, for privacy. This man probably, as a demon-possessed individual, stayed there because he was trying to avoid society and society was trying to avoid him. He doesn't have anyone around him. You know, the deeper you go into spiritual darkness and sin and fleshly appetites, the more austere you become, the more withdrawn you become. That's a sign that you're walking in the flesh. You don't want to be around people, especially God's people. That's when the alarms ought to go off. When I don't want to be around God's people, now I need to be with God's people. There's also the nonstop schedule of this man. Again, we're talking about slavish sin, not just talking about someone who's demonically possessed, because some of these things are things that could apply to believers and often do apply to believers who give into the flesh. 
I've met Christians who their, their living conditions as they've pulled away from the body of Christ and they've pulled away from really fellowshipping and their, in their quiet time and, and loving the Lord, they, they become more um, singular in all of this, non-communicative. And then there's the night and day mentioned in verse 5. I've talked to several drug addicts who are awake for hours on end, even through the night when, you know, the normal thing is our biological clock says you need to be asleep, right? But sometimes they're, they're fixed ends and they're disturbed and they wake up and, and, and that habit needs to be fed more and more and more. And so those disturbances become more frequent and the, the, pat, the time spans in between become less. They're exhausted. Sometimes they push their bodies to nervous breakdowns. There are reports of things like this. The high school sophomore who stayed up all night adding to her blog. You know, just on social media. I just want to post this and want to post that. And it, it had become an addiction for her. I'm not saying she was demonically possessed. Again, remember, these are slavish aspects to our, our sin. The 14-year-old who played video games for 12 hours at a stretch, not even taking time for food or to drink water or to even go to the bathroom during this time period. All society would agree that's a problem. The honor student who says that she has no problem writing her English essay while she's texting with her boyfriend and compiling her iTunes playlist all at the same time might have a problem with being sort of engulfed in some of these aspects of her life. But the point is, it just keeps you going. You, you, you feel compelled. It's like, and I always ask the person, I'm like, what would happen when you hear that ba-ding on your phone if you didn't look at it? We feel that way sometimes. And so there's a, a nonstop schedule. And again, I've heard secular counselors that, that get some of these things. They'll even say, you know, don't sleep in the same room with your phone at night. You know, well, I use my, my phone to wake me up in the morning or whatever like that. You know, you need to know what works for you. But if it got to be a problem for you, you ought to be willing to own the issue and to distance yourself from that. The point is, is that we know we're, we're in, caught in some sort of slavish sin when it's nonstop. The demonstration of fear. Verse 5, it talks about him crying. This is a wailing. It's not just a weeping. It's like a shriek of horror that's going on here. And you don't have to be that extreme to be in this category of demonstrating fear, anxiety in your life. There's the self-inflicted harm. He begins to cut himself. Cutting is a real issue with people who are acting out. It's a way for them, uh, especially with uh, adolescents, where they feel like they don't have control. And I know it seems very backward to, to many of you if you've never counseled anyone like this, but it's, it's their way of trying to have some sort of control themselves and cut themselves in this way. Self-mortification. 
One reason for this is the influence that deluded him. Maybe he was reacting out against it, but again, he's just going to have his body full of scars. It's not going to kick the demon out. Many a person under the influence of something, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever, has been known to unwittingly harm themselves, sometimes because they're under hallucinations. More often, there is such a despising of one's life, and this is the irony, they, 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 they hate their life, but they love their life at the same point. There have been people that have even gone to the extreme measure of taking their life in the form of suicide, and yet you think, well, they must have really hated their life, but that could be a form of pronounced self-love to the point that they wanted, they couldn't get the control of their life to be what they wanted, and so they said, well, I'm just going to end my life rather than my life not be what I want to say that it should be. It can also be in the forms of carelessness, one's diet, one's hygiene, one's eating, anorexia, bulimia, all sorts of things. And these are often things that are on the, the, the extreme fringe where they become very noticeable. Family members, friends notice these things. But it starts off with that same mindset of, of not caring about my person, not caring for the temple of the Holy Spirit. And yes, even Christians, born-again Christians, can engage in some of these things. But let's get rapidly to the most important part, the solution for the person. I'll just give you a couple points here. And it all has to do with submission. It all has to do with yieldedness. Jesus was brought to his country. If you were to look at a map, you would see the Sea of Galilee on the western coast. You'd have Capernaum to the north a little bit, and then inland you have all of Judea. And that is where Jesus and his disciples spent the majority of their time. But they get in this boat, and they sail across to the eastern shore to come to this land of the Gadarenes. I'm sure the disciples thought, just like when they must needs go through Samaria in John chapter 4, Lord, what are we doing here, right? But Jesus had a divine appointment. And praise God that Jesus, as the good shepherd, comes out and pinpoints individuals and says, I'm going after this person. I'm going after that person. I have sometimes wondered, Jesus, why are you coming after me again? Why, why are you still not being shooken, shaken off of me? I don't, I don't deserve your forgiveness, your long-suffering, again, your mercy being new. Jesus is relentless in his love. Praise God for it. You know, we can bring Jesus to the attention of a bound person, but that person must in their heart and their soul willingly come to Christ. We're ambassadors. We can't infuse the Holy Spirit ourselves into a person. We might be able to get them to repeat after us some sort of sinner's prayer, but it's with the heart man believes under righteousness, and that's not something that we can impose on someone. Even as this man, even as Jesus came, the Spirit wanted Jesus 
to depart in verse 7. That demonic spirit was like, get out of here. What are you doing here? What have I to do with you? Even a believer struggles with the pull of two natures. We know that. Romans 7.25, Paul the Apostle, seasoned minister of God, mature believer, opens up and says, I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, doing the right thing, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Simultaneously, this, this struggle is going on. But I know the right one. I need, to, I need to follow my mind. What is true? Even if my desires are strong the other way. This is true of every single Christian. The particular appetites might be different for you than for someone else, but we all have them. One side will win at each skirmish. Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters. Again, he's talking about spiritual struggle. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, materialism. It doesn't mean that you can't have things and enjoy this life. You can't serve that. And so many people are trying, even as believers sometimes, trying to serve materialism. Well, I, I, I want to have salvation and I want to go to heaven, but I also want to live my life and I want to make my priorities what they, they, they can be, not have God dictate that. And God says, you can't do that. And you know what happens almost every time? There will either be repentance and you'll come to serve God only, or you will continue as a Christian to resent God. You cannot love God with all your heart and try to serve mammon, materialism, your flesh. It just doesn't work that way. I want you to note that the evil spirit as well as everything, including your flesh, is subject to God. God, God ultimately is sovereign over everything. Everything. When the demon inside cries out, I adjure thee by God. We need to know that there is nothing that is beyond the jurisdiction and the authority of God. The demon understood this. Demons, by the way, are very intelligent. Demons sometimes are quicker to admit the truth than sometimes even Christians are. James, he says, you know, you believe in God, thou doest well. But the, the demons, the devils also believe and tremble, Right? That's not enough to save them. There's that respect. There's that knowing of the truth. They're not dumb enough to try to create an alternate reality like some humans do. And we need to understand that there's nothing that isn't under the auspices and the sovereign control of God. In other words, there's no problem that Jesus can't fix for you. Jesus was the solution to many problems. You might be sitting here and th saying to yourself... Well, preacher, I don't just have one issue in my life. I've got a bunch. How much time do you have? And even if you have the time, there's probably some that I'm not going to open up and tell you about. But we know that because it says we are many. And we also understand from our study in the Bible of, of devils and demons that they often had their own unique traits, powers, skills. 
And so this man was plagued in a multiplicity of ways. Rarely is the most pronounced problem the only problem. You start trying to help someone unsaved and they need to be saved or Christian that's, you know, yielded to the flesh. That's why it's so important to drill down, as I call it. You've got to get to the root issue. If you, if you like to keep your yard looking nice, if you only come along and rip off the tops of dandelions, you're never going to get very far. The people who have that little tool with the two teeth on it that goes down underneath and lifts the root out are the ones that have better success. And so we must always go to the spiritual root of the issue. Questions. Well, why are you angry? What thoughts are you having when you're angry? Are you thinking about a certain person, incident? That's how you have to help people because often they've not thought about what it's all tied to. Satan doesn't want them thinking about the root. He wants the root to stay there. Jesus brings freedom from all problems. Ultimately, there's no problem so big that God can't solve. Jesus was the solution to stubborn problems. Not just a lot of them, but maybe you say, well, you know, I've got one that I have just wrestled with all my life. And Hebrews talks about laying aside every sin and that does so easily beset us. Those besetting sins speaks of those, those struggles, those temptations that we've, we've confessed and God's forgiven and we fall back into it, whatever it is. Sometimes we thought, you know what, I'm tired of even asking God for forgiveness of this. I'm just going to lie in my filth for a while. But this demon besought him much, which means the demon was saying, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, please don't make me go. Your sin, your struggles, your fleshly appetites, they don't want to stop. But Jesus was the solution for that problem even still. Jesus brought a genuine, observable change in the life of the man. Look at verse 15. It says, And they came, the people of the town came to Jesus, and they look over, and they see the man that had had been possessed, past tense, was possessed, and he's doing three things. He's sitting clothed and in his right man. Sitting, he was calm. Number two, he was clothed. And in his right mind, he had clarity. What a great restoration story. You know what? I'm pretty sure anyone under my voice, whether you're sitting here today, listening by live stream, or by podcast later on, you probably don't have this multiplicity of demons living inside of you. But you do have a struggle with your flesh. And this is what God wants to bring to you and can bring to you. Jesus was the object of the man's love and fellowship. In verse 18, after he is set free, the man just has one wish, that he might be with him. I want to be with Jesus. Jesus, let me stay with you. A person will be eternally grateful to the one who unlocks their bondage. An ongoing relationship with the Son of God is the key. And while the man could not physically stay in proximity to Jesus of Nazareth, it didn't mean that Jesus wasn't present with him as his Redeemer. 
Jesus wants to be with you, and you need to want Jesus to be with you, and you need to love His presence in your life. But Jesus also frees the one who comes. What of this man's companion? Remember I mentioned there was at least one other man mentioned in Matthew 8? There's no mention that he was freed. There's no mention that he followed on. So there are so many who are companions to those who become Christians. There's been times that I've sat in this conference room after a service and someone has asked me, I need to know more about salvation. And I've talked with them and there sits with them a family member right next to them, listening to the entire gospel presentation, the, the discourse between us, and even listening to the individual pray and open their heart to receive Christ as their Savior and then to give a testimony of praise and thankfulness that this is what they've been searching for, and then turn to the other person, I'm like, how about you? Oh, I don't, I'm not sure I'm ready yet. Do you know Christ is your Savior? Well, I, I, no. You know, I, I hear this, I appreciate it, I respect this, I just, you know, just, I'm just not ready. As the man said in Acts, you know, in a more convenient season, I will call upon you. That's dangerous. Because no man can come unto, the, unto Jesus except the Father, draws them, Jesus taught. And so we need to understand Jesus frees the one who comes. Now even that coming is drawn by the Spirit of God. But don't resist that. In conclusion, I want to tell you about an incident that happened back in 1838. Slavery was abolished in the country of Jamaica. It didn't happen, as is often the case when laws are passed or rescinded. They, they pick a date off in the future a bit, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, sometimes years. In this case, it was to take effect on August 1st. So the people had ample time to prepare for this very momentous day on an island nation that had been just plagued with abuses of human slavery. And reporters chronicled that on the eve of that event, many slaves gathered on the beach for a solemn yet joyous occasion. A large mahogany coffin had been constructed and placed on the beach, and next to it, a deep hole dug where eventually you could see that that, that casket would be placed and covered up. As the evening wore on, different individuals who were about to be released from their slave bonds the next day, would come by and drop into that box different trinkets and memorabilia that were associated with their enslaved condition. It could be chains. It could be padlocks. For some of them, it was leg irons, whips, all sorts of things. The box filled up. And a few minutes before midnight, the box was lowered into the hole in the beach, pushing sand into the hole to cover the coffin. And all those that joined in their voices singing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And we rejoice with people that have been unshackled from their bondage, from human oppression, 
And as beautiful as that is, and as inspiring as that is, there's nothing more special than being released from the slavishness of spiritual sins. Paul wrote in Romans 6, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The idea is, hey, when you sin, you get to experience God's forgiveness. Hey, that forgiveness is great. Are you going to go out and intentionally sin so that you can come running back to God and says, I've got another sin to ask you to forgive me of. Oh, it feels so good to get forgiven. No, there's, there's better ways to receive God's grace and experience God's grace without violating His prerogatives, His law. So it's a, it's a crazed question. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, may it never be. How shall we that are dead to sin, if we're alive in Christ, we've been made dead to sin. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That shouldn't be my lifestyle. Rhetorical question. Don't you know, know ye not, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? And again, well, I'm still living, I'm still breathing, I'm not, I'm not dead. It's, it's spiritual putting to death of my old man. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ, and here's the resurrection, you can't talk about the death of Christ without talking about the resurrection, that like as Christ was raised up from the, the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in what, folks? Newness of life. That's what it's all about. Every day is about resurrection glory for the Christian. It's not just that our physical bodies are going to rise from the grave someday when Jesus returns. That's going to be great. But the main power is the spiritual aspect that we experience every single day. I am walking in newness of life because I am dead to my sin and I'm alive to Jesus Christ. He raised me to walk with Him. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that, or we could say, in order that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. I should not be shackled. I should not be enslaved to my sin. He's talking to believers here, is He not? That ought not to be, but obviously it was in some conditions because he had to say it. For he that is dead is freed from sin. As long as I keep myself every time I am tempted with my flesh and satanic delights that come my way, I'm just like, no, I am dead to that. That's not supposed to be in my life. And you know what? We all know how to do this in certain categories of our life. For instance, when I married this beautiful woman, I made a vow and a decision that I would say no to other women. And it's, you know what? It's not difficult as long as I keep myself in her love. Right? If I begin to allow myself to get upset, resent certain things, imagine things in my mind, then I open myself up to be wooed in ways that I should not be. It's the same way with us in our walk with the Lord, is it not? 
In other words, the world's charm should not engage me if I'm so deeply in love with Jesus in my life. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. And then, as I often say at the end of each baptism that we do here behind me, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not just about saying, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead, I'm dead to sin. Don't, 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 no, no, no. It's like, yes, Jesus, help me to love you. Help me to appreciate what it means to walk with you. That's the key. Jesus came and entered your life so that you could be freed from slavish sin. Friend, let him remove those shackles and don't go back to them. Father in heaven, thank you for your truth and your word. Lord, if there's anyone here today without Christ as their Savior, I pray that today they might come for forgiveness of sin and to be adopted into the, into the family of the Heavenly Father. I pray that they would trust Christ alone. What he accomplished on the cross is forgiveness for sin, payment for sin, and knowing that we have new life available to us because He rose again. New life now, spiritual new life. Lord, I pray that if anyone cannot say with certainty, I know that I am born again, I am a child of God, today would be that day. But Lord, beyond that, for believers that might be struggling with their flesh, or maybe the problem is they're not struggling, they're not fighting, they're giving in, they're yielding, maybe running, embracing, believing the lie that it's easier, it's better, I pray you'd help them to realize the grave consequences that come with being again entangled with the yoke of bondage. Lord, that doesn't mean that the fight doesn't continue. It does. It doesn't mean that it isn't unpleasant. It is sometimes. But Lord, being aligned with the rescuer, the redeemer, is where there are pleasures forevermore, where there is joy, calmness, peace, contentment. And Lord, that we are able to lay up forever treasures in heaven. Lord, I pray that you'd give us wisdom to serve with our mind your law today and forward. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.